Welcome to The Land of Aru, a fan cast of Carcerum the Series, presented by the American Council for the Blind, Sunday edition with Anthony, and supported by Shane Salk Productions. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to In the Land of Aru. I am your host, Anthony Corona, here as always with Shane Salk of Shane Salk Productions. Hey, Shane. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? It's going good. It's going good. So I want to alert anybody listening on ACB Media right now. Um, we have been having the exchange of Zoom links the last three weeks. So there is a new Zoom link. You can grab it on the ACB mailing list. Um, or you can grab it from Carcerum the Series slash In the Land of Aru. Um, and you can join us live. We'll be speaking with our guest after we run the episode, a sound engineer. So we're going to get more into the layering of sound and, and how this world of Carcerum has been built. So, Shane, things took some interesting turns in the last couple of episodes. Um, Aura is now part of the competition with a prophecy that Taris had stolen from Istin. Do we know if it was her original prophecy or the other one? Uh, I guess we don't. We don't really yeah. know that. I, I re-listened to last week's because I thought to myself, did I miss something? You know, it's it's possible to miss something. Um, but I didn't I didn't see anything. But I would imagine there's gonna be some uh, fall out from the stolen prophecy and what um what Terrace's actions will mean. So I am really excited to get into today's episode. Tonight's episode. Absolutely. And uh yeah, I mean it's sort of that that Formosa is kind of the one involved with all this stuff more than uh Aura from the end of last week's, right? Well that's true. That is true. Sorry about that. No, I just wanted to yes. make sure I was listening because sometimes I don't pay attention. <laughs> um all right well let's uh, if you're ready i'm ready i'm ready let's let's hit it to listen to this week's carcerum episode click the link in the description all right you're listening to in the land of aru a carcerum fan cast and we've had a couple of changing zoom links over the last couple of weeks so if you want to join us live with any comments or questions go to either the acb list the conversation leadership and various lists have the zoom information there or carcerum the series slash in the land of aru so this week, we are going to be speaking with Tim McEwen, who is a sound mixer, sound engineer. Hey, welcome, Tim. Hey, it's good to be here. Really glad to have you here as well. Um, so tell us a little about yourself first, and then we'll get into what a sound mixer slash engineer does. And then we'll talk a little about Carcerum, if that's cool with you. Totally cool. Yeah. So All right. So. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a sound designer, uh, mixer, uh, all-around um, audio engineer. Uh, I've been doing it for the past 20-some years. Uh, you just kind of have my hands in all, all aspects of uh, audio uh, capturing and design and and mixing. Uh, it's kind of kind of a passion of mine. Uh, I've made a career out of it and uh, really, in, really enjoy what I do. You you seem to do a really good job of it. Um, so you know what? Let's jump to Carcerum for a minute because is this is this like a dream job 
I mean, all the different layers of building this world. I, I would imagine for a sounds person, this is this is one of the pinnacles, right? I mean, this was a lot of fun uh, when it was when it was kind of first pitched to me uh, to begin with. I my already had wheels just uh, running to my head of like, oh, that's great because like not having the visual aspect of it, it just kind of it's it's it brings a challenge, but it also just allows for a lot of fun. And it's like, how are we going to tell stories with just an audio medium, and how are we going to make things sound that you can kind of put the mental picture to? Uh, yeah, when when uh, Shane and Bill came to me, I was uh, I was really excited to jump at at this uh, project because it just uh, the way they pitch it to me and and how they want it to be and and really bring like a high level of audio experience to to this kind of format. So, like like a battle scene, that first battle scene with Istin, how long would how long do you work on a scene like that? Oh, that uh, the the battle scenes in Carcerum were definitely some of the hardest uh, time-consuming stuff because uh, you know you're you're going in and you want to kind of get that the all the movement that goes on with with a, with someone battling uh, you know all the sword play and making sure the hits and the and making sure that each hit is sounds a little different because you don't want to have like the same sound effect for every single strike because that will get monotonous and boring and it won't bring the realism that we're trying to convey. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, some, something like that. I oof, that took probably probably that section alone was a good four to five hours, just just like t- dialing it in and getting getting that ready to 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 a point where like okay, I think this this sounds believable. So with a scene with a scene like that where there's so much going on, where do you start? What are the first sounds that that you lay, that you start the layering from? I think the first thing to do is um, kind of getting the dialogue uh, cleaned up and, and mixed to a point where it's like, okay, this is where the dialogue is going to be. Because cause when it comes down to it, the dialogue is the, is the most important uh, aspect because we want to hear, hear the actor and we want to hear the lines that are written in this battle because that also brings you in when you have, you know, all their little grunts and stuff. So you kind of build off the the uh the the dialogue first and then from there I, I would say probably i start focusing on on the sword clangs and for smaller scenes like some of the tent scenes and especially when they were in the holding cell a couple episodes back how do you get that actual spatial when some of those scenes you can feel the amount of space that they're walking in or that they're sitting in how, how do you build that into the scene so, so yeah, that's uh, really important too. Uh, that is a lot with uh, finding the right reverbs and uh, spatial spatializing because everything was recorded in a, in a, in a uh, pro uh, recording studio, so everything's very flat. But that's what we want because, or that's what I want because that gives me a lot of control. That way, I can add little reverbs and find and go out and kind of play around with the different uh, uh, effects that I have. And I'll just kind of test. I'll I'll listen to a space like, oh, okay, does that sound like you know, like underneath when they're in the jail, does that sound like a, a stone uh, place? And then you and just kind of I kind of try to close my eyes and imagine the last time I was in a space that kind of felt that way, like a cold dungeon with like, uh, you know, the the way things bounce off rock as opposed to like you know you'll hear the difference when like 
Istons out in the uh, in the arena. That's going to be yeah. a little more open because nothing. There's not going to be any kind of bounce back. There's no echo. Uh, you know, where voices and sounds they bounce off everything, and that's what we hear. Uh, that's what gives space. So it was a lot of it was just like finding the right reverbs that made that that were believable that did sound like the space and that's just all that's just a lot of playing around and then once you, once you find it it's like okay great then i send everything through that and just kind of mix and then just it's just a matter of finding that nice balance of of just enough reverb reverb where it doesn't sound fake but it also has that natural feel to it so we're about 18 episodes in at this point what are what from what we've listened to up to this point, what were some of the more challenging scenes or areas to work on? I would say anytime there was a big battle, especially um, with with multiple multiple uh, characters uh, going after each other, and then uh, anything that would involve like fighting the uh, Lucis and Tori, uh, that was uh, those those were always a big challenge because we're making up a monster, and that's and that was a lot of fun for me because. I actually got to uh, play around with that and actually kind of use my voice and then manipulate my voice to make it sound like a monster. And I had a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would imagine. What's what's your favorite monster? Oh, uh, I think maybe the the like in this in this episode in this episode is this the episode? Yes, yeah. Where uh, the where where um, for most of kind of like makes you know she she lays her her swords down and just and having like the monster come up and and then just not attack kind of yeah that that was a lot of fun to make because it's you you're you're actually bringing something so it's not just like pure terror and and growls it's 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 a little more than that yeah there was almost an empathetic kind of pulling from from those moments yeah, that's the that's kind of what 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 I was going for. You know, what we're going for is we, we you know because we want to. She sees that they're not just these mindless beasts. There's actually something more to them. They're 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 beings. They 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 might even have a soul to them. Not they're just they're not just killing machines. So that was that was really fun to be able to portray that kind of empathy. Like you said, empathy to a monster. Yeah. So that that's when you know when you're given the the definition, I let's call it, or the the description of what they want from this monster. You know, what are the processes in your head? How do you start building it out? Uh, it mainly like okay, does it fly, is, or is, is it like a big monster that that walks? Because then that's going to kind of give you the idea of what's this going to sound like. You know, if it's a big heavy monster that doesn't fly. Then it's like okay, I'm gonna focus on what the footsteps are gonna feel like. I want to make sure like when every time they step, we we, we feel the uh, the audience feels each step. And then when it comes to like a flying monster, you want to make sure the you you get a sense of those giant wings flapping like big whooshes and big sub you know almost like you can feel the the air of these wings hit you in a sense. Yeah. And how about the layering of like all the background stuff, little chirps and, and twigs crack, the fire crackling and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's just a lot of fun. Just, that's, that's just play. I mean, you're, you're just trying to make 
just we're trying to just build the scene and like, you just think about what what's going to be in the backgrounds, like a fire scene. And, you know, I think so, uh, with campfires, I think I layer up to like five elements to make, you know, make a fire because it's as if you listen to a fire, it's not just one thing. There's the, the high end crackling pops, but then there's this low end whoosh that goes on, too. And, and you know, so it's yeah, it's just all a matter of just trying to, to make it sound as real as possible. And then with the backgrounds, uh, like from the forest, it's. I want to add a little wind that goes through the leaves, but then there's, I want to have some wildlife in the background and, you know, I don't want it to be too overbearing with birds, but also you want to have some bird chirps here and there, and then also make sure there's some insects in there. So it actually, you get a sense of everything that you would hear if you were in the forest. So a two part question, as you're layering and, and adding different elements, do you often have to go back and tweak what you've already done or relayer? And, you know, how often did you go overboard and say, all right, I got to pull this back and I got to pull that back for the quality of the scene? Uh, definitely. I think I think by this point, uh, you know, 18 episodes in the definitely I found the sweet spot. But yes, and like it would be more in the beginning of like I might have gone a little overboard of like, oh, this is OK, that's too busy or. Or even like would Shane and Bill would uh, listen to it and be like, oh, I think there's too many birds here. And then it's like, OK, yeah, I think I did go over overboard with the birds. And then I think uh, one scene I could definitely remember is uh, way back, maybe like episode six, uh, when they were in the tavern. Uh, I definitely made the tavern too busy because I, want, I, want, I wasn't sure like how, how many people were going to be there. And then it's like, oh, no, it's, it's a little quieter than that. We don't need a raucous hundred people just be, um, being crazy. So that was a big one of like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand that. Let's let's bring that back down and and make it seem like it's a it's a quieter bar or a quieter tavern as a, as opposed to like hundreds of people in a tavern, you know, whooping it up and and having a big big go of it. And this became that that's a that's a moment where it was like, oh, I went overboard on that. And so okay, dial that back. Um, but like you know the the, the crowd scenes, I think were were also a a big, uh, big challenge because I'm trying to layer in all different types of um, just crowd noises from, but also don't want to make it sound too modern because you can't have like air horns or anyone calling for hot dogs or, you know, like those little things will take you out of it because, you know, we're in, we're in a time where air horns and hot dogs aren't necessarily a thing. Yeah. And you want it to feel comfortable and familiar, but it also needs to have that, that fantasy otherworldly quality or other time quality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and what really did help too is the fact uh, with, when uh, getting all those little, um, little moments of, of people calling out, like, you know, uh, that, that helps also bring the reality of a crowd and, and kind of throwing those, those little like one lines in the background with some reverb and make it sound like it's, they are actually coming from the crowd and then just kind of, and then having fun with the swells of like the moments of, of the uh, you know the announcer getting the crowd wild uh, riled up. So then you know do a nice swell, but then and then it goes back down to like that din of just okay, we're just people are just talking, but it doesn't you know you don't lose the crowd. It's not like in out in it's, it's that like kind of nice ebb and flow of, of what a crowd sounds like. Yeah. So let's jump back to Tim the, you know, Tim the guy. When did you get the sound bug? I would say probably when I was probably 18 or 19. 
I've always been uh, I, I play guitar and music's been a big part of my life. Um, and I was I guess when I was looking for uh, looking to, you know, for my higher education for college, uh, I went to a college and uh, they had a recording studio. And I remember walking into the control room and seeing the mixing board and being like, I think that's what I want to play with. I, like that looks I want to learn that thing. And so that just kind of that's what got me is like seeing a, a mixing console in a studio and just knowing that I can like figure out what all these knobs and faders do. And that it just that's kind of what got me down the path of uh, being being into audio. So is it more fun playing with an old school board like that or, you know, playing with it through the computer and, and all of the software that's now available? I would say it's actually probably more fun and easier with today's technologies because you can pretty much do anything your mind will, will allow it. There's uh, like the fun thing with like the mixer, the old school way of an analog thing with mixing and stuff. I think that that's fine for music, but in, in this, in this kind of stuff, this narrative stuff, I, I like having the freedom that, um, that, that uh, all the, the digital plugins and the virtual instruments allow you nowadays because there's just so much you're, like I said like the your mind can kind of just go and you can see if oh can I do this and it's just a lot easier to do it as opposed to like where if it was all analog it'd be a lot of patching this and then that and then it just the, the time just things are just so much quicker now and and I, I do like yeah. that so how different were were things during the heart of the pandemic from before and have things, you know, gone back or, or are they now some hybrid version of what they always were? Uh, I would say pre-pandemic, uh, the one thing I, I really missed was um, doing my final mix is having having the, uh, you know, the creatives, who the, the people who made the, the when it's really because I'm just I'm just trying to. Uh, make someone else's project sound as good as it can be. Uh, and so, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm taking a lot of guesses. So it's nice. It was always nice to have, you know, whose project, whoever's project was sitting in the room with me. So that way we could have that back and forth, talk about it. And in real time, I could fix things that all got blown out of the water with, with COVID because we couldn't be in the room together. So there was a lot of, I send a mix, I get notes, we send, so it just, it just made things a little, a little harder, but you know, uh, so now that there's kind of a hybrid of, and since, since technology is like, you know, zoom has gotten a little better and now we figure out how to, how we can patch, uh, you know, like, like this, we can, I can send out the audio pro, you know, and they can hear the high quality audio real time and we can talk real time. You're just not sitting next to me, but at least you're hearing what's happening all at once. So now it's kind of become that hybrid of you, some people will feel comfortable sitting next to you with other people will, or sometimes people will be call. Now they realize, Oh, I can call in from wherever I am. We can do that. We can jump on. I can hear everything. And so there's that kind of hybrid of, uh, you know, I don't have to send mixes back and forth any, uh, so much anymore, which I never really liked because it just, to me, it's very time consuming, uh, the redundancies. And then again, like I said, I'm making a lot of guesses. I'd rather just have the conversation. Yeah. Right. yeah, have yeah. It right there. Have the conversation. Talk about, oh, what do you like about this? Do you like, th you know, and then I could A, B, like, do you like this or do you like that? And then we can make that decision together. And that's, you know, that's what I love about uh, what I do too is the, the collaborative aspect of it. You know, it's not just 
it's not just my choices for everything. It's it's we're we're all coming coming together to to make the best product. So Tim, back to um back to sound. You want to give us some highlights from your career so far? Sure. Um, <clears throat> the past, uh, I would say probably. 2015 I started working for a Foley studio and that was a lot of fun because I got to work on a lot of fun projects um uh that actually led me to work on uh, uh Dr. Sleep and that was a I mean that's a big Hollywood movie to work on and that was yeah. just that was so much fun to work on uh, that kind of property especially because I'm such a fan of The Shining to begin with and to know that like okay I'm working on something that's tied to it, I mean it was written by Stephen King so it was like that was that was a very fun project to work on because it was just the high profile of it. Um, as far as like, I think the most fun I ever worked on was a uh, through the fo uh, Foley Studio was uh, this. Uh, I think it was on the Sci Fi Network. It was uh, this horror series of, uh, called Blood Drive with this weird concept of uh, a cross cross continental race from uh, Los Angeles to New York in a in a post-apocalyptic world where the cars run on human blood it was very bizarre so just think about all the weird sounds that would come up in in that kind of in what i just said there so that that was just a lot of fun uh, nothing but I, I, I would imagine doing like horror and the gore sounds and you know, like the you know goo gore and, and that's got to be a lot of fun to play with yeah, one hundred percent. That it, it's just pure fun of just like, okay, what what are we gonna make sound like something? Yeah, what's gonna sound like skin ripping off, or or what's gonna sound like a a body being exploded? And it, it sounds horrible when I'm saying, but you knowing that it's just it's it's in that genre of of horror that you 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 are almost cartoonishly making these, these sounds, and and it was just a lot of fun to to come up with stuff like that. Uh, so talk a little bit, oh, a little bit about Hill House. Oh, yeah, so the yeah the haunting of Hill House that was another thing. Actually, uh, yeah, because Doctor Sleep was same director that did Doctor Sleep did uh, Haunting of Hill House, and that was again another just fun thing because that was all about the um, the nuance of of sound and and making things like bringing that tension and and the creepiness of uh, of a haunted house, you know floorboards creaking or little things like that so it wasn't so much like whereas the blood drive thing was all about cartoony over the top this was actually more about realism and like when when the knob turns you actually you feel the tension of this thing being turned uh -huh, the click yes yep it's it's like so important to have that side of it and like every almost like every like as the tum you know, the tumbler of the knob you want to hear every little cr creak and everything because you're, it brings you so hyper into the space as, as you know and that was again a lot of a lot of fun to, to work on that kind of stuff so from you know from the ear side of things from you know the the, the sound geek insight no um no uh, offense men's but just kind of generalization what are your top three films or shows that really get sound perfectly or as close to perfect as possible I would say I really love the way, uh, the work they did on Breaking Bad. Uh, I th I really think the sound team there did a really good job of um, of that nice balance of like hyper realistic stuff and and just realism. Um, let's see, uh, and on the flip side of that, you have uh, I mean 
Star Wars is classic because they just ma- they just had so much fun making all those those sounds like you know they had to come up yeah. with what a lightsaber sounds like what does a tie fighter sound you know so that's like that's just as far as just classic that that's pure classic just you know they they had so much fun um what other uh, ones that I like So Top Gun too is also like I just just watched the, the trailer for the new Top Gun movie and I was like that they did some really fun stuff too that that's like good as far as just crazy over the top action and loud but loud in a good way if you know what I mean yeah so let's transition to I, quite a few folks who have come on have given us their impersonations of Shane and Bell do you have any. Uh, let me tell you, buddy. I, I got I got some impersonations. Yeah, all right. Throw a little uh, Kevin slash Shane in there. I can't really do Shane. I, he, he's just too nice. <laughs> yeah. Have you witnessed any of their arguments in the booth while you were working? Uh, usually, they would put me on mute to to argue. What's the what's the funnest thing about working with them? I think maybe the the, the uh, libations after the, after a hard day of work. All right, I get with that. And what were your initial impressions when they sat you down and and started telling tell, you know building the world of Carcerum for you? What they what they wanted, what they were expecting. What were your first impressions? I my first impressions was uh, I I thought. What they pitched to me was very ambitious, but um, I could I could send, I could get their passion, and I, and I was just right off the bat, I just knew that they were really good guys, and uh, and we just there was kind of just a an instant like okay, I like I they seem to like me, and I was like I seem to like you guys, and I it just it just kind of like clicked right away, where we both just knew what we both wanted. We both wanted to make sure that this was going to be high quality and that um you know we we weren't we weren't gonna ha- you know excuse my language but the half asset we were actually gonna do something that's going to sound as good as possible because i you know they told me who the what what talent that was that they got to to do the line you know for the for the casting and i was like well wow they're okay they have really good talent and so i trust that's going to be good and then i um just hear you know reading some of the scripts and, and seeing, it, I was like, okay, this is actually, this is something that's, that's going to be something that I, I, I thought like, sure, they really believe in this uh, medium and, and this story that I, I believed it. And I believe that I could bring what I, what I, my skill set, and, and elevate it and make sure that uh, it reaches the quality that it needed to be. Yeah. And 30 plus episodes, really deep episodes that pull you in. And I remember the first couple of episodes, Shane was saying, you know, you might want to listen to them two or three times. So you train your ear and your brain to, to hear it fully. And I kind of thought to myself in my head while he was saying that, oh, he's a little wacky, I think. Um, and I did it. Um, I listened to the first couple of episodes multiple times and really kind of learned how to hear it. So, you know, 30 plus episodes later, season two being crafted now you know what where did you hit it is there anything that you you know looking back you tweak and do differently and are you excited for season two 
I'm very excited for season two, and I'd be lying if I didn't say everything I work on, I could probably go back and, and tweak. But that's just kind of who I am. Um, not to say, like, I, I'm very happy with, with the product we put out, and I think, uh, but I, I always can, I, it's just, it's hard for me to put a mix down. Because <laughs> I, I could always, I could always be like, oh, maybe we could do this better, or oh, maybe, the, maybe I could have made that crowd members sound a little more farther back you know it's just it's all very minutiae stuff that i i'm being nitpicky but that's just kind of like who who i am as far as when i listen to things i've mixed or even other people's things i mix i always think about oh i would have done that differently or i would i would have done this and so it's like I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but I think most of my mixes i feel are probably 90 percent done but knowing that i will never get to 100 <laughs> percent I, you know, I've heard that in other artistry areas. Um, did you, do you feel, do you feel like you learned anything through this process? Like if you listen to early episodes versus later episodes, do you feel that your talent grew at all or, or changed by being, you know, so deep and in, in layered in? Uh, 100%. This was, this, I think this project alone raised my uh, mixing skills and uh, the way I do things 100%. I learned so much just because it's, you know, like you said, 30, it's a big task to, to, to tackle. Uh, 30 episodes is not a small feat. So it's, it really made me like kind of question some choices I've, I've made in the past. And, 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 you know, uh, it was also like the fact that Bill and Shane will, will say, ah, I don't really like what you did there. Or we maybe can we change this a little bit? And you know, I at this point I was like, okay, put my ego aside and let's let's get to where you know. And then a lot of times I was like, oh yeah, that, that actually was a better choice. And you know, I'm not I'm not one to really like get into deep hard arguments about like you know. Well, no, it, I made it this way and it has to be that way. I'm I'm all about the collaborative uh, aspect of it and and getting to a point where where, where everyone's happy with the choices made. I want to make sure I'm happy with the product. You know, I made it sound as good as I think it should be, and then they're happy and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's what we had." You know, because it's three people trying to convey something that's in their head. So we're all after. Yeah. We have to bend a little bit and, and all come to a certain spot, and so yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, it it was. But I definitely grew as a mixer, and this was a great, great project for me to work on. Uh, to just like, and also it, it made me a better mixer because it made me, uh, it taught me how to streamline some of my uh, workflow. And, you know, and that's a, that's an important thing. That's awesome. What is your dream project? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, I would say something, you know, Dune, uh, <laughs> Dune would be a, probably a dream project, and there's a reason why uh, Mark Mangini won the Oscar because the just the tapestry of sound that he made for that movie is yeah it, yeah, and so something like on that scale would definitely be a, uh, a dream. Something like sci like sci-fi fantasy are a lot of fun because it's all about making fantasy you know unrealistic things sound realistic if that makes any sense. No, yeah, it's you know when you are on that broom with Harry Potter and you're hearing and you're feeling the wind, you're you know it's not possible in the world that we are on on the plane that we're on at the moment. But for the you know for those two hours, it is possible. You're in that world. Yeah, exactly, and and that's and that's the job 
that you know we as sound designers are doing. It's all about bringing that aspect of you know the, of the senses, and hearing is a very very important sense, and it it there's a lot of emotion that comes into into audio. Uh, you know, it's it. I I feel like sometimes you can hear things and you can really you can connect with emotion a lot through through sound. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to check in with Desiree, see if we have any hands. And if Desiree or Herbie themselves have any questions, Desiree? There are no hands. All right. Do uh, either of you have a question for Tim or Shane? All right. Shane, I know you are back there in the background with Tim. Anything you want to throw out or question you want to ask Tim? Uh, God, I've talked to Tim so very much. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it was crazy because, I mean, you guys talked to him like episode three. And just if anybody who has heard from, you know, episode one, two, three, and then into now the amount of sort of change that that of the soundscapes and of like we spent, I don't know, two a month or three or something on episode one and then everything got a lot smoother and um that we had our first recording like our first mixing session was at your house mm -hmm. and then everything else the pandemic started and it was all that stuff it's um yeah i mean tim i i'm excited for season two because one of the things that we tim is an amazing sound designer with you know mix and everything so we can we eventually got where we had to move so quickly to get everything out that um that it'll be nice to slow down and have you know more people you know I, i'm uh designing and one of the things that i think we really found in this like tim was saying that the more um when you take your ego out of it and you can hear what everybody else's ideas are and what's people are saying and what people are bringing and you can go okay um do i like this or do i not like this and is it because i don't like the mixer does somebody hear something i don't or am i too close to it and too far from it so having you know tim's ear on all this stuff whenever tim was like no it's good i go okay great it's good i don't have to worry <laughs> Tim's told me if i'm like yeah i don't like it and we're like okay great let's figure this out but if i'm like i don't know if it's good and someone goes no it's good and you're like great that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure, you know, everything learned from doing these 30 episodes is only going to multiply the ambitions of what season two is going to be as well. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I would totally agree with that. All right. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for taking, you know, some time on a Tuesday night and hanging out with us and taking us behind the scenes of Car Serum. We'll be back here next Tuesday night as well with, uh, so this was episode 18, right, Shane? Yeah, that's correct, uh, episode 18. Yeah, so if you want to re-listen, um, this was episode 18. We'll be back with 19 next week. Everybody have a great week. To listen to this week's Carcerum episode, click the link in the description or search Carcerum, C-A-R-C-E-R-E-M, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a recording of a live show presented by the American Council for the Blind and Sunday Edition with Anthony. 
If you would like to be part of the live show, please follow at Carcerum the Series on social media or join the ACB mailing list by sending an email to community at acb.org. Also, be sure to check out the podcast Sunday Edition with Anthony on your favorite podcasting platform. For more information about Carcerum, go to carceremtheseries.com.